a little deeper level. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we've been doing. So I, uh, I have a, a gym called the Beast Compound where we have two separate businesses that we run here. Beast Athletics is for the physical and Neuro Beast is for the mental. Uh, also, I wrote a book that came out right before COVID. Uh, I co-authored it with a good friend of mine, Chris McCain. Uh, it's called Beast Thinking. Uh, BEAST is an acronym for Brain Engineering for Athletes, Students, and Teachers. So we're teaching them how to engineer their brains for success. We're going over, you know, basic neuroscience terminology like uh, neuroplasticity and myelin and different things like that and helping people understand that you can make changes to your brain. You can change your personality. You're not uh, stuck with uh, being the person that you were endowed with. So you can, you can increase that yeah that's amazing bro uh you know when i first started looking into what you were doing i loved the whole you know what it really feels like is is you're helping bridge this gap between science and spirituality you know mm -hmm. and i think this is super key for i think humanity as a whole to to take a new step and to get to a place that we haven't been before is really being able to take i feel like these these areas of thought that have been restricted to certain organizations throughout history you know i feel like especially when yes. it comes to neuroscience and the workings of the mind um and how how everything from the nervous system the alignment of chemicals and the nervous system or the lack thereof ultimately manifests itself in the body in the form of um you know misalignments or alignments you know and a lot of these con these connections between the mind and the body and i think what you're doing is amazing because you hear about like athletes visualizing you know touchdowns or whatever you hear like you know i think I, I watched a video about lebron practicing uh buzzer shots specifically and i'm like okay you know that's definitely lit but you're taking it to a whole new level and you're not just doing the visualization you're doing the actual cognitive behavioral therapy and infusing yes. that with the physical activity i think that's that's fantastic yes. bro that's yes. fantastic. I'm, and I'm glad, I'm glad you picked up on the cognitive behavior therapy aspect of it. Yeah. Because a lot of people, when they see it, they're like, okay, he's working on reaction time or okay, he's working on impulse control. And there's a huge, huge, huge sports psychology aspect to my practice where I might get an anxious athlete in here where they're doing a drill and I can see that they're actually out of alignment, right? Their, their physiology isn't primed to be successful at this drill. Yeah. And so we teach diaphragmatic breathing. We teach positive visualization in that moment, just as if I were a cognitive behavior therapist. Yeah. And so a lot of people don't understand like how cognitive behavior therapy works. And the way I like to kind of break it down is like, if I'm afraid of snakes, my first session with a cognitive behavior therapist, they're gonna show me a snake in a magazine. And then if I have a physiological reaction to that, they're gonna teach me how to calm myself down. The next session, they're gonna bring in a rubber snake, have me hold it. If I go out of whack, they try to get me back to where I'm at my baseline, all the way up until they can bring an actual snake into the session and I don't freak out. Well, my sessions are the same way. There are some athletes that when they face adversity, when they face failure, they already have a pre-programmed way that they respond to those things. And when you study more about uh, neuroscience, you understand like how when we continue to travel that same neural pathway, we, we reinforce it, we strengthen it with a substance called myelin. And so the thing about neuroplasticity is that you can create new pathways and you can destroy old pathways through training. 
And so what we do through exposure therapy is we expose them to situations where they're going to be anxious, where they're going to experience failure, and we train them to respond differently. And over a period of time, we rewired them. Uh, we rewired their ability to fail. We rewired their ability to face adversity, and they handle it a lot better. Yeah, that's amazing, bro. That's fantastic. It's, you know, it, it really is, I feel like it's modified. I feel like it's, it's just, it's modified therapy on steroids. You know, I feel like, you know, when I work with personal clients and we don't do anything with sports, obviously, but um, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're taking what we're teaching them and, and guiding them into and, and giving that to them in the middle of their adversity. And I think that that's a big problem with our culture is that we like to avoid the adversity and yes. if you can understand how powerful you are, you'll no longer fear adversity because you understand that in the middle of it, you can totally rewire the way you're responding to it, in turn, rewiring how you actually act and function in the middle of it, totally changing your results around the situation itself. And that's why I love what you guys are doing. I think, I think it's so unique and I've never seen anything like it, which is why it's so amazing. It's super powerful, bro. I think, I think obviously I'm probably a little ahead of my time on it, but, yeah. and yeah. there was, there was one point where I was like, man, I'm going to put this down. I'm not going to do it. Nobody's going to understand it. But then we talk about the spirit. Like I got this calling from what's inside of me is like, you know what? Like this is really what your athletes need at the end of the day is yeah. their ability to regulate their emotions when called upon, yeah. you know, when they're, when it's, you know, their team is down by one, and there's 10 seconds on the clock and he has the ball, is he going to be able to manage his physiology to the point to where he can come up with a solution and not be overwhelmed with the magnitude of the moment? Yeah. And yeah. I think that separates a lot of people. A lot of people in that moment crumble. They're like, what if I miss this shot? What if, uh, you know, I lose the game for my team? And, and in that moment, that moment now becomes a threat to them. Yeah. a threat to their well-being and so when when we face any threat in our environment the fight or flight nervous system's kicked on that's what we're wired to do and so now they're over adrenalized they're the blood's rushing to all of their limbs uh they might feel a little queasy you know their working memory is zapped because you don't need a working memory when you're in fight or flight right you're, you're just tr you're trying to you're trying to run from some kind of predator yeah. all right and so you actually are their their physiology becomes uh not working for them it works against them yeah. in that point and so teaching diaphragmatic breathing teaching how uh when they are nervous how to perceive the situation differently don't perceive it as a threat perceive it as a challenge the body like you said before looks chemically different now yeah. which was like my biggest like shock to my system once i learned it's like wow so the per we could be in the same situation, perceiving the situation differently, and you hear me? Yeah. So we can be in the same situation, perceiving the situation differently, and our bodies look, the chemical makeup of our bodies are actually different as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my favorite quotes is from Charles Hanel, who's one of Napoleon Hill's mentors, and he says that we can only do to the extent that we are. I'm sorry, he said we can only do to the extent that we can be, and we can only be to the extent that we are, and what we are mm -hmm. is determined by what we think ultimately. And right. always, you know, I love this because I feel like so many people do themselves an injustice by misunderstanding how action is not a cause of a result, but rather an effect of the spirit that created the action. 
it's, <laughs> you know, so many people miss, uh, misunderstand and ultimately underestimate themselves, shoot themselves in the foot by not understanding that by the very nature of rewiring their own self-concept in relation to a situation, they can respond, react, act, and create a completely different result. And it, and it doesn't require all this, you know, you gotta go get a degree, you gotta do this, you gotta, you know, you know, you got, if you can simply shift your state of consciousness around a situation on a real physiological level, you are no longer going to struggle with that reactionary, oh shit, there's a predator here, I'm freaking out. Like you do your name, right. you know, like I wanna help you franchise the crap out of this. <laughs> uh, it's so good what you're doing. And I feel like this, this type of therapy, ultimately, I feel like it could be applied to every area of life, not just sports, you know, but maybe, I mean, I could see this being applied to people who are speakers, right? Professionals. Yes. Oh yeah. So I, I have a pretty cool story with that. Uh, I think we connected right after you saw me open up for Les Brown. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So like, bro, I never done nothing like that my whole entire life. So I've, I'm in my classroom right now at Beast, but we could fit maybe 30 in here. And that's yeah. like the most people I've ever spoken in front of my whole entire life. Yeah. It's 30. And, it, and I'm kind of in my, my home. So like, I feel very safe here. So yeah. never before have I ever had like a panic attack or any of that type of stuff, giving a presentation. Cause literally I'm like right in my own backyard doing it. Right. And so when I got the opportunity, my spirit took it right away. Like my flesh was like, oh, there's no way you're gonna go talk in front of 2000 people. Like you're, you're not ready for that big stage stuff. But my, my spirit said yes. Like my body was like actually like zapped in that moment. And my spirit spoke through my body and said, yes, I want that opportunity. And so I had about maybe three months to get ready, but I was like, how do I not freak out on stage? <laughs> and so what I did was exactly what, you, what you're talking about. I had to go to a place in my imagination where I was giving my speech in front of 2,000 people. And I knew when I got there because my heart rate started to race. I was like, all right, I'm there, all right? Mm -hmm. I accepted the fact that I was able to get myself to that point because my physiology thought that it was actually there. Right. So I was like, all right, you're, that's the first step. All right, so now I had to train myself through my imagination to not freak out yeah. while I was on stage. And to this day, the most surreal moment that has happened to me ever is walking on that stage, waiting for myself to get nervous, but my body feeling like it was at home. It was like, oh, you've done this before. Yeah, yeah. And I literally almost like, was like a blackout moment. Like I don't really remember giving my presentation. Right, right. And I killed it. Like I remember like the feeling of knowing that I did a good job. Yeah. I did the whole like LeBron walking <laughs> off stage. Like I was like, you did, you killed that. But it was like in the moment, I don't really don't remember it because I had practiced it and rehearsed it so many times in my mind. Uh, yeah. One of my colleagues, he talks about the uh, tourist versus a resident, mm -hmm. and. The fact that our brain does not realize the difference between reality and our imagination allows us to intelligent, more intelligent now utilize our imagination. Yeah. And so it make us the resident in places that we've never been before. And so that's basically what I did is like the, the tourist is going to be looking around like, oh my God, I've never been here before. The resident's like, oh yeah, I'm going that way, move. Yeah. Take a more direct route. So through my imagination, I made myself at home with being on stage so that it didn't appear that that was my first time ever doing that. Man, that's amazing. And you're at, 
it's amazing because as you were talking, I was thinking about a quote from Joe Dispenza and you literally spit it out about the body, not knowing the difference between an external and internal event. And I yes. think this is, this, that's probably the most powerful thing uh, when it comes to, not, one, not only when it comes to preparing ourselves for an, from a, for an event that we know we're going into, but also creating a future for ourselves that you know, we're wanting to step into. Um, yes. You know, Neville, Neville Goddard, I think you've read Neville. Oh, bro, I love Neville. Yeah. Don't, 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 don't tell me you were on Neville like that, man. Bro. I love Neville. Bro, my you company. Gave me the, see, I got the chills. Right when you said <laughs> the words Neville and Goddard, I got the chills, bro. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Oh, dude, my company's been teaching Neville for the last half a decade. So, oh, wow. Yeah, bro. Neville is, he's, he's the shizniz. But, you know, I love it because he puts all of this in such a, a straightforward way. I feel like out of all the mm -hmm. new teachers, Neville put it more straight than anything. And I think it's really the things that people gloss over the most that you don't hear. You know, people go to Neville, what I've found, people go to Neville because they want the law of attraction in a very straight formulaic way. And Neville gives that, okay, first step is this, second step is this, third, you know, mm -hmm. get it, sit in a chair, close your eyes, go into theta state, put yourself where you want to be, right? Right. And everybody talks about that, but the things that I think people gloss over are the most powerful. Neville says things like, man is all imagination. You know, we have this conviction that because we're existing in this physical world, that we are a part of it and it is separate from imagination. It's separate from what's going on inside of here. And I think this is when things really begin to take a big deep dive because all of a sudden we no longer, when we come to acknowledge this, we no longer have the ability to say, I acted from a place of, um, incapability. It's more mm -hmm. that capability becomes a choice because we understand a, that we are all imagination, this infinite, powerful, endless being, right. Or God, we can use that word if we want to. Right. Uh, absolutely. You know, a little more, a little more rough around the edges for some folks, um, mm -hmm. you know, but I think this but is it's written in the scripture though. The scripture says is. that we are God. It is. And nobody likes to, to read Psalm 86 <laughs> because you know, it totally flies in the face of, of this hierarchy of, you know, you need to go to this guy because he knows God better than you do. And it's just like, you know, one, you know, the scripture that really didn't make sense until it made sense uh, for me, you know, I had an experience in Missouri. I just got, uh, I was, I was arrested for possession of cannabis oil in Missouri. Uh -huh. And um, I did a talk at UCLA about this a couple of years ago. I ended up getting arrested and I was getting it shipped in the mail. Stupid. And so I'm sitting in there and I'm just freaking out. I am like, oh my God, I'm going to go to jail for the night, you know, 25 to life. It's Missouri. I'm freaking out. And, uh -huh. and long story short, um, you know, I open up the scripture because what else are we going to run to when we're, when we're scared and we don't have any, right. you know, um, and it was Proverbs 26. It's like every curse that's on you is going to turn into a sparrow and fly away like a bird. And then like five minutes later, the cop comes in. He's like, all right, you're free to go. And it was literally mm. just like that. And I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so mm. I walked out and I'm just like, I'm, I'm in a total state of disbelief. And then that's when I had my first kind of, I guess what you would call ego death experience. You know, up until that point, I'd been a heavy, heavy, heavy evangelical. Um, I, was, I was all over, you know, every denomination, Church of God, Church of God in Christ, Southern Baptist, Reformed, Pentecostal, Baptist, mm -hmm. Seventh-day Adventist, Methodist, Lutheran, Episcopal. Um, you know, I was all over and I had done a bunch of work in a bunch of different ministries, you know, and no matter where I went, nobody could answer the really, really hard questions. And that's kind of 
you know, that space in Missouri was a space where I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm putting it all down because I want to figure it out myself. And so in that moment, after I kind of, <laughs> I was released, I had a total ego death and experience. And I realized that, you know, the scripture, so this is what my original point here was the scripture that, you know, through him, for him, and, and because of him are all things made that are made, right? This whole uh, in him and through him and for him, does everything come to live and move and have its being. And I realized in that moment, there was absolutely no separation between myself and this infinite force that I'd been looking for, that I had been seeking for so long, that there was zero separation there. And that entity was me and I was that, and there was really no me, there was just that. And this is when I began to really be introduced to the idea of potential and intelligence and all of these character attributes that we say, you know, in our society are so permanent, we're really just very fluid and totally based upon our self-concept, right? We could right. teach ourselves skills very, very easily. We could totally become new people by shifting our own self-definitions. And I think this is why what you're doing is so powerful because you notice like how in, in different forms of therapy, like EMDR, it's going to get you to really jog a lot of those memories that are going on. I think exactly mm -hmm. what you're doing there, you're also causing a blurred aspect of your student's identity, which ultimately allows them to attach to a new one a lot easier. And ultimately, the moment a new identity is accepted in the nervous system to where you can, you know, this is where a lot of people don't understand about affirmations. It's like affirmations aren't worth a shit if you're not convinced that they're true. If you're right. saying them and, and you know, there's like, yeah, this is bullshit. I don't know why I'm saying this. You're just like, they're not going to work. They work when they become a natural, a natural kind of flow out of you, right? William Blake. Neville, Neville talks about that. He's like, if you haven't manifested something, it's because in your mind, it wasn't natural. Right. To the degree of naturalness that you believe something, that's how quick you'll see it manifest. And I love it because it's essentially saying here that your only job is to become convinced of something new with ease, right? So William Blake, Neville talks about him. He says, what seems to be is for those to whom it seems to be, right? The way it is, is the way it is for the one who says that's the way it is. And so if we right. can just reprogram the way it is for ourselves and enter into, into that emotionally with acceptance, we'll find that our ability, and this is why I don't focus a lot on. Hey, on, hold on, hold on really quick. For sure. For sure. Are we back? Yes, sir. Can you see me? Yes, sir. I can't hear you anymore. Uh-oh. Oh. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Uh, now I can hear you. Okay, cool. We're good. Hey, so so, so one thing I'm, I guess I'm trying to, for my actual personal practice, is how do we normalize like that grand vision that's in our mind? That's such a good question, dude. That's such a good question. And in my opinion, the only, so let me grab something really quick. The only way to do that, in my opinion, and based on my experience, is to relinquish your sense of personal identity. Because as long as you're convinced that, that you are real and objective, 
it's going to be very hot, very hard to naturalize that grand vision that you have for yourself. It's not going to be impossible, but it'll be hard because it feels like this mountain you have to climb inside of your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Now, so we created this program called the source experiments. It's a 45 day experiment based program that really causes the learner to question every fundamental sense of, of, of identity. So it goes into um, every question like, who am I? What are thoughts? Where do I end? What is outside? What is time? Who is truth? Am I that? Am I enough? Am I my story? All these questions. And they're meant to really get you to go beyond your fundamental ideas about yourself. And in my opinion, to answer your question about naturalness, the only way to normalize that grand vision for ourselves is to relinquish our sense of personal identity and recognize that we are God. It's, it's really, it is that, mm. but it is, but it's not right. We have to be able to come to a place where our identity is no longer something we are attached to my habits, my thoughts towards myself, my behaviors, my relationships, my current states of finances, of, of relationships, of career, of all these different aspects. The reason those are naturalized ultimately is because we've got a feedback loop that starts from a self-definition that says, I am that. That's what happens here. So we become, we, we create this sense of conviction about ourselves. And then from, I look at self-conviction as the defining factor in all of our performance, because I've rarely seen you know, Einstein said that you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness that created it. I've rarely seen a self-definition of somebody have ideas that are greater than that self-definition, right? So right. My, my thoughts here are that ideas that we generate are contained. They are limited by our self-definition. And as a result, our emotions and the actions that come from these ideas are also limited. So it's important for us to completely relinquish our sense of identity. Like we have to become totally... And this, is, and this is why we created this, because it's really meant to get in your nervous system that you're God, not just in this mental space, because you can say that all day. It doesn't mean anything. You right. have to really generate this awareness in your nervous system that understands that you are not anything until you are convinced that you are that thing. And this is when, and, and so many things play into the survival, fear of death, all of these different things. And, and, we, first off, I think the biggest thing here is, is silence, getting away from people who are trying to tell you uh, who you are, who you should be, who you need to be, mm-hmm. you know, um, gosh, I had that all the time growing up. I'm sure you did too. Oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. The, the ones closest to you are the ones that do that too. Yeah. Yeah. I had to leave. I had to leave my whole family, dude. I had to, I had to cut mm. off all my friends. I just had to It's not because they're bad people, but I knew. Right. That if I hung around these people and listened to what these people said, dude, my life would be dismal AF. So do you feel like being around them reinforced that feedback loop about who you were, who you were, but who you also weren't trying to be? Yeah, 100%. Mm. And that's why I think we do become like the five people we surround ourselves with the most is because we're listening. You know, that's the whole thing about people. They tell us the way it is, what they're really just telling us is their belief about themselves. Nobody is ever really coming to us with objectivity. They're coming to right. us with their experiences in the world. And if we can understand that, gosh, our, our courage to explore new ideas, new beliefs, new perceptions is going to be so much, it's going to be heightened because we're no longer sitting, you know, there is this, yes. Okay. Well, you know, I need to impress. I need to not step on toes. But I mean, for me, 
dude, I had to just, I had to step on everybody's toes and go as far away as I could. I had to alienate myself so I could rediscover everything. And I don't mm. necessarily advise that for everybody, but I think that, yeah, you know, it's like, why, why do we think that, you know, I, I think you find a pattern every two or three generations, you know, a person in a family does something new, but you find for anywhere between 50 and a hundred years, everybody in a family usually shares very similar career paths, very repetitive career paths, their ideas about what's possible, their income, all of these different things are very much similar. Uh, you don't often find, um, and this is, and, and I think that, I think that there's, there are times when you've got that grandparent that raises the child that says, you know, come on, baby, you can do whatever you want. Then that child goes on to become an NFL star or different things like mm -hmm. that, you know, but I think for the most part, we want to be like our parents. We want to be like our, the people that we grew up respecting. And for me, I didn't grow up with parents. I was put into foster homes at a very young age and I was mm. adopted, but that did not last long to, to, for a lack of better terms. Um, and so, you know, but the interesting thing there was that I also dealt with a heavy masculine um, wound. I dealt with a need for approval from men. And this really showed up in Christianity because I would get addicted to male role models, male father figures, and I would project my needs onto them. And this is really interesting because this was the beginning of me discovering how I could become whatever I wanted because through that insecurity, I would totally shapeshift myself. I would literally become whoever I needed to become to feel like I was satisfying that. Mm. that it, was, it was really, it's a really, really screwed up way of doing it, but it was my introduction to that. Um, mm. I want to go back to normalizing who we are. I, I think that if we're going to, if I'm going to, I know I, I talk very abstract to bring it practical. We have to approach this idea that everything we've ever believed about ourselves is just a story. Everything. It's just a story. That's all it is. And that, that's all it ever will be is a story. And the way the story becomes real is by our repeated convictions of it, our repeated feelings around it, right? Like, so you look at your reaction time when an athlete and there's 10 seconds left and they're two points down and that athlete doesn't have the beast training that you guys give He's going to respond out of fear. He's going to screw up. He's going to miss the shot. What's going to right. happen? He's going to lose the game. He's going to beat himself up. He's going to self-criticize. He's going to experience that criticism from everybody around him because the world is a reflection mechanism. And that is ultimately going to reinforce his self-definition that he's not good enough to make it when it counts. And then the mm. next time it comes around, he's going to react the same exact way until he interjects in that moment, which is why what you guys are doing is so powerful. And that's what we encourage our clients to do. Go into the middle of, you know, go find, if you want to be successful in business, go find the richest people in your city and just get as close to them as you can, because they're going to talk different. They're going to think different. They may reject you at first and that's hundred percent. Okay. But you need right. to figure out how the people that live like you want to live, how they think about themselves, how they talk about themselves, how they talk to others, how they feel on a regular basis, what they do, where they invest their time, you know, and that's because, and that's what happens. We literally become what we behold, you know? Man. So do you think part of the normalizing it is getting into that theta state and meditation where you do lose sense of time, you know, sense of who you are, sense of place, so that you can access 
more of your divine self? Absolutely. I, I totally agree because, it, you know, I, when we're in that theta state, we're, we're really, we're on par with our subconscious. We're on par with that, that, that aspect of us that, like you called it, the divine self, the, the infinite aspect of our being. And in that moment, we're not confined to any self-conviction, um, which is why I think you find, especially, you know, people that get hypnotized, this is why hypnotherapy can be so powerful because mm -hmm. you take them into that theta state through hypnosis and then they do things or say things that they've never done or said before. Right. And all of a sudden you're just like, oh crap, you know, the potential is, is it's truly virtually limitless. Hmm. Hmm. As, as far as, uh, as far as athletic performance, what are your thoughts on brainwave states? Cause there's a lot of kind of conflicting information out there. Like, yeah. so if I'm a, if I'm a basketball athlete, where, do, where should my brain be for optimal decision-making, uh, optimal execution of plays, yeah. uh, optimal emotional regulation? Yeah, that's such a good question, dude. Um, you know, I, I think that ultimately, I don't think as an athlete, there's a better thing that you can do for yourself besides rehearse every game moment outside of your games. Because ultimately, as you mentioned, it is absolutely that excited fight or flight state that's going to cause you to error. It's going to cause mm -hmm. you to mess up. It's going to cause you to overthink. It's going to cause you, you know, to execute the play wrong. It's, it's going to do a million things. If you notice, like people that are the best at what they do rarely are thinking about doing it while they're doing it. And, right. You know, and I'm, I'm willing to bet you that, you know, let's just take LeBron for example, because he's so prominent. I, I, I'm willing to bet that he's rarely like, he's there, he's present for sure, but he's not psychoanalyzing the court. It's become right. a natural aspect of examining without, again, there's so many, I feel like there's so many nuances that come into play here. Not taking anything that's going on personally, being able to look at your environment and not perceive a threat. Cause you're absolutely right. If it's the end of the first quarter and we're, let's just say we're playing basketball and it's already 50 to let's say 19, you're looking to get in the second quarter and you're like, man, we've got a long way to go. And we've got to be able to, inside of our nervous system, squash that gap that says there's a long way to go. Because oftentimes mm. it's that very perception of there's a long way to go that's going to affect our performance. It's going to affect everything because we're constantly focused on how much we aren't where we want to be. We aren't where we want to be. We aren't. And that, that phrase alone I feel like that pervades every misstep. It pervades every lack of flow. It pervades every error that we make. I'm not there yet. And this is why I think it's imperative that when we're not on the field, when we're not on the court, when it's not game time, we're living, breathing, thinking, feeling, and acting like we already are the athlete that we want to be. We're taking into consideration every possible situation that could ever come up that we can at least conceive during a game and we're handling that and we're going over that inside of ourselves. And, you know, we're taking that hit, we're taking the block and we're doing all these things. And we're not just like you were doing before your speech, you're mm -hmm. allowing the physiology to, to show up, to rise to the surface and you're detaching from it. And you're saying, okay, let me just let this happen. Let me let it happen. Oh, wow. Okay. It's happening more and I'm reacting less. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's tough. So, so would you say that is, low beta high alpha in that 
that state? Like, what would you what, what would you categorize that state being? Like, what what brainwaves? I think that's going to be closer to. I believe it or not, I think it's going to be closer to theta. Really? In a flow state. I don't think you're going to be super conscientious about what's going on. You're just mm -hmm. you're just doing it, and because it's become ironically natural where you're at, you're not necessarily. I feel like there's analyzation going on, but it's not psychoanalyzation and it's not hyperanalyzation, right. right? And so I, I would say it's anywhere between high theta, low beta, anywhere between that range. Um, gotcha. You know, for me, when I think of alpha, I think of anxiety. I think of high, high states that are not necessarily pleasant. I also mm. think of that in beta as well, um, just because those tend to be the states that we are in when we're needing to do a bunch of things. Um, but athletes, for me, I, I, I can, because growing up, I played a lot of music and I also played a lot of sports and I noticed, and I also did a lot of speaking. And I noticed in all three of those things, there were times when I was doing things absolutely perfectly. And when I was doing that, I was never thinking about it. I was never thinking, right. I was present, I was mindful. And while my heart rate definitely was probably raced, uh, you know, and all those, my body was definitely, you know, blah, 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 blah. There was not this mental tension going on inside of myself. Um, you know, and so I, you know, as far as the specific brainwaves, I don't know if I'm necessarily educated to give you the answer on that, but I definitely believe it's not going to be a brain state that, that is usually associated with anxiety and nervousness and tension and things like that. Right. No, that's, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. And that, cause I've read a lot of conflicting information on it and kind of, you know, thinking back when I was a player, I was definitely an anxious athlete. Like I remember like after I really realized what a panic attack was, I looked back at my playing career. I was like, Oh, that was every game for me. Yeah. Like I was legit having, and, but I wasn't, and that's what intrigued me about working with athletes because from the naked eye, I might not have been showing the classic signs of a panic attack because athletes, especially male athletes, are taught to kind of cover that up and be tough and not be nervous. So you you kind of do different things that appear not to be nervous. But for I think I was definitely overly nervous. Yeah. And and kind of my revenge on my old self is now the public speaking realm and just taking on tasks that are bigger than myself so that I have to rise to the occasion and wow. be my best self in that moment. Like I live for that now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, bro. I think that, I think that forcing you in, forcing yourself into a place where you are scared, where you're nervous, where you're anxious yes. and regulating yourself in the middle of that is absolutely the best thing that you can do for yourself. You know? I, I feel like our body and in, in, in those times of stress, you can make an argument that our body are, it becomes optimized for performance under under this stress. But yeah. as long as you are knowing, as long as you know how to like manage the psychological aspect of it, yeah. you I, know, because like when when we're when we are when we start to move around and we start to produce BDNF, which yeah. is applying stress to the body, our brains think better. Like we think better when we're moving. Yeah. Absolutely. When you, when you look at fasting, you know, there, there are studies that show that, you know, you produce the ketones, which actually produce mental clarity, mm. you know, so your body's under the stress, under like these, these stress periods where, you know, you, start, you, you want food, you're hungry, but you're not eating, but you're thinking clear at the same time. Right. So I, I feel like when, when we do 
rise to the occasion and we kind of put the body under various degrees of stress that's how we actually evolve our physiology our psychology yeah i agree with you bro i don't think that i don't think that there is really a better way to do that um and i think for anybody that you know i mean i can totally see this being applied to athletes where you know let's just say you're a ball player and you're playing d4 and for some odd reason you get a chance to play with d1 I think that's mm-hmm. the best thing you can do for yourself because you're probably going to get shown up. That's just the way it is. But before that, you can really prepare mentally for all of the stress and anxiety. And I can, you know, you can guarantee and I can guarantee that your performance there will automatically optimize itself because you've approached that anxiety, that stress, that worry, that, that self-consciousness uh, long before you've actually stepped onto the court itself. Yes. And yeah, absolutely, bro. I think anybody wanting to increase their, their athletic abilities when they're not in class with you is the best thing they can do is think about the hardest situations they could be in and regulate their body in the middle of that. That's really mm. what you can do. You know, mm. um, I like, but the to- toughest part is calming the mind down. To just think about that. Right. Yeah, so we say it, but it's like how many people can actually get to that theta state where they can right. access that. You know, I think, especially a lot of kids that I work with, uh, a lot of kids in my area, I just watch them and they're all overly stimulated. Yeah. Like they're bombarded by stimulation of thought. So when it's time to kind of calm down, the brain is still on fire. They try, they're trying to calm it down, but the brain is still on fire. They, they don't know how to put that fire out to where yeah. they can access that, that divinity inside of them that it gives them the ability to imagine things that have not yet manifested. Right. And I think performing CBT on yourself, you know, can be one of the most powerful things. I think half the reason our mind stays on fire most of the time is because we're no longer observing thoughts going on in our head. We've identified as the thoughts themselves. Yes. The idea that we can separate from them and allow them to dissipate is such a foreign concept. And this is where I think generating internal awareness becomes such a big factor in our ability to grow in success is our ability when we're in those states of anxiety to say, all right, these are thoughts. Like these are thoughts. If we can just accept that what's happening inside is thoughts and step back from them, you know, questions I like, I, I love to do self inquiry when I was in the, when I'm in those moments. So when I'm having like a crazy bout of just nonstop thoughts, I ask myself this question. So who do these thoughts arise? And I immediately, when I ask that question, I immediately confront the observer of thoughts, right? So I'm no longer identified with the thoughts. I'm asking, who are these thoughts coming to? Who are they rising to? Who are they presenting themselves to? And all of a sudden, I've got an identity conflict, which really causes a jam in the, 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 the thought train itself because I'm no longer just witnessing them emotionally as they're going, going through. It's all of a sudden, oh, wait, I'm separate from the thoughts. And I think right. little tiny nuances that can be huge for us if we practice them outside of those moments of necessity. You know, I think there's something to be said about rehearsing your, your star moments long before your star moments come, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and people, it, it's so interesting. I feel, I was thinking about this the other day. I feel like as kids, we give ourselves permission to enter into these moments in our imagination. And, yes. you know, we give ourselves permission to be here. And all of a sudden when we grow up, we've got all these signals and all these people telling us what we should, what we shouldn't do and all these different things. And all of a sudden, we're, it's not that we're not doing that anymore, but we're doing that based on somebody else's ideas, somebody else's directives, somebody else's yes. thoughts about us. And it's like, 
that be, that becomes our reality. As long as we adhere to other people's desires for us, their convictions for us, their convictions about themselves, where we've we've lost our ability to enter into a place in our lives where we truly find peace and contentment. You know what I mean? So, so here's another thing that I struggled explaining to people. And it was actually an awakening I had myself maybe a month ago. And it's, it's relatively new, but it has, to, it has more to do with kind of what's going on with social injustice. Mm-hmm. And I found myself on Facebook trying to, you know, arguing with people and trying to change people's mind and all of that. And then I checked my vibration. I'm like, I'm angry right now, yeah. like just angry. And I started thinking about, you know, law of attraction and different things like that. And when it comes to social injustice, I feel like the, the win, and this is kind of biblical too, the, the win is turning the other cheek. Yeah. It's denying that these things are happening because once you accept that that happens and you victimize yourself, you're yep. now creating that new story, that new narrative. Yeah. And collectively, as a collective consciousness, if everybody is saying the same story, saying the same things going on, now that is, you're now a co-creator in your experience of being oppressed with the oppressor. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, and this is a very sensitive subject. And, you know, I just had a conversation with one of our new clients yesterday. uh, And I hate using this word, but that's what she, she used. And so I'm going to use it is, is a woman of color. Um, Mm -hmm. And she, her, her main role in her life is helping other women of color recover from trauma. And I feel like the way our society is right now, it's, if you're, you're looked bad upon if you're not drawing a line and declaring what side you're on. Right. 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 And, and and at the same time, we're projecting these roles onto people and, and and all of these different things. And I, I had to sit there with her and it was the most enlightening experience for me because I obviously want to make sure that I'm, I'm not invalidating somebody else's experience. Exactly. But at the same time, I'm letting them know that, I believe your experience can be better and I'm willing to do whatever I can to help you get to that place. Um, and it's a sensitive subject, you know, because when I, I grew up in LA and I was in South Central quite a bit. I was in Compton and Inglewood quite a bit. And so I got to see the heart of a lot of these places that people around the country have no, they have no clue about, you know, many times I was told, Oh bro, if you wear the wrong color there, you're going to get killed. It's right. It's so ridiculous. And, and there's so many different stereotypes that, that we carry. And what I found was people in South Central, especially were some of the most intimate, loving people I had ever met in my entire life. And I find myself in the same position you do, because for me, people that don't know me, they'll call me a, a, a straight privileged cis white male. And they have no idea, mm-hmm. you know, where I've gone. And, and, and I have to say to her and say, okay, <laughs> I understand where you're coming from but I'm not going to play into these societal roles that we're all casting on people because at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. You said this by playing into the system of oppression, you actually play into the hands of the oppressor. And yes, yes, yes. And, and, and Kanye tried to say this a while back, but said it completely wrong is he said that uh, slavery was a choice. And, and when you think about it, 
yes, yes, he's right. Because if you look at the history of slavery, what they would do to oppress the mindset of the rest of the slaves. So if I'm a slave owner and I have 200 slaves on my plantation, I take the biggest, strongest slave and I beat him publicly. There's even certain instances where they say they would rape the biggest, strongest slave. Yeah. And what that does psychologically is like saying that, like, all right, this, this guy is stronger than all of us because he beat the, the strongest amongst us. So we need to fall into our role and just be this. When in reality, if the collective consciousness of all 200 of those people change, you run up into that plantation at nighttime, you kill everybody in that house, <laughs> and you take over. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I'm like, with you, bro. But, but imagery, imagery, and what we see plays such a huge role in like how we view ourselves and what we think is possible and not possible. But when you tap into the God self, anything is possible. Hundred percent. And bro. so I, and I think the new, the new, they call it buck busting or the new beating is when we do see these videos of African American men getting slain by the police. And so what that does, it traumatizes every single African-American male. It may re-traumatize those, like, like George Floyd re-traumatized myself because I've had five run-ins with the police that were absolutely absurd. It was completely because, you know, I'm, I'm of a different color, but it re-traumatized me to, to, and brought those instances back where I felt oppressed again. Yeah. And it's like, I don't need to feel this way. I, I know that I have infinite power inside of me this is not of god for me to feel this way right. this is not of god for me to feel oppressed or like a victim or you know not or inferior to my white counterparts right. i was like there's at the end of the day when you are acting out of your individuality like your divine self and not your personality there's nothing that can touch you yeah there's nothing that can touch you like good or bad you yeah. kind of you kind of stay at this place of being divinity. A compliment doesn't make you feel any better. A criticism doesn't make you feel any worse because you know you're you are divine spirit at that point. But yeah. when you identify too much with your personality, now I can make you angry. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why you're never going to see me. You know, I did I did get caught up in a little bit of it. You know, right around the time that um, you know George Floyd was 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 murdered. Um, I got caught up and, you know, because I was adopted and the majority of my family is black and mm -hmm. it triggered, it triggered me dude, because I had a lot, of, I'm not black, but I, I had a lot of problems with police and, and I wanted to just, you know, go off on everybody. And mm -hmm. it, was, <laughs> it was so important to sit back and be like, you know what? It's so, it's such a delicate situation with everything that's happening in the United States. Yes. I have, I think for me, because of the beliefs that I carry as well. I think you and I carry very, very similar beliefs. It's a matter of, okay, your experience with that is not invalidated whatsoever, mm -mm. but I want to be here to help you overcome what happened in your nervous system when that experience happened so that together we can walk a new path together. Um, and this is, this it, ironically, this seems to be the Man, one. Man, say, say that again, bro. That was beautiful. <laughs> say that again. I don't want to invalidate your experience, but I want to help you overcome the effects of that experience on your nervous system so that yes. together we can walk a new path. Yes. You know? Yes. I think that that's the key. That's the key here, man. If we, 
if we could just all do that together, bro, you know, you said the thing about the slaves running in and killing the, the plantation owners tonight, bro, you know, and that's the thing. The media has this all pitted against each other and they're mm-hmm. doing the same exact thing to all of us regardless. And then you've right. got Hollywood. Tell me Hollywood does not perpetuate stereotypes about black people, about white oh, people. Oh, all the time. You know, and then they want to say, oh, but we care. Bullshit, dude. Y'all don't right. freaking care at all. You're a part of all the media trying to pit us against each other. No, I don't give a crap about any of that. Mm-hmm. I want to be here with you, validating your experience, and mm-hmm. then working with you, if you want to, to overcome the effects of that. And I, and I think what you're saying right there is what the country's lacking, which is empathy, compassion, and love. That's it, bro. That's it. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. Like, for someone to be like, like you said, like, that was my frustration on Facebook. They were like, oh, this isn't this, this isn't that, this isn't true, this isn't that. I was like, how are you going to tell me what I experienced as a black man? How are you going to tell me that this is not true? Like, what, what, I think what angers a lot of black people is the fact that they're not saying, I'm, hey, I'm here right with you. Now, what's, what's the solution? I'm, I'm here right with you to get to the solution. But they're just saying, this doesn't, this, this didn't happen to you. Right. Like, this is, this is not what happened. You know, and that shows lack of empathy. Right. And as soon as you, as soon as you start to make people, people become in, lack of uh, lack empathy. They lack compassion, lack love. That's where death and destruction can breed at, and fear can breed at. And you know, I think, you know, just because everything is getting so so wild like that, I do think on the other side, because there's a yin and a yang. I do believe more minds are starting to awake and think like me and you and being like, okay, like you said, this, this did happen to you, but let's not allow you to be re-traumatized the next time there's a trigger in your area for that. You know, let's, let's look at yourself as more of a divine spirit instead of a black man or a black woman. Right. And that's kind of the luxury that I would say uh, some of our white counterparts have in America is that if there's a cop shooting of a white person that's on TV, they they don't it's not they they don't really feel bad about it. They're not like oh man like it's they don't feel bad either way because they have the ability to view themselves as individuals. And black people are clustered in such of a group so that when once it happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. Yeah, we all feel it. And we've lost our ability to think as individuals because we've been coined as black people yeah. or Cuban people or Mexicans or whatever. Like the, the minorities are, they lost the ability to view themselves as individuals in our society. And that's to me, that's the biggest thing. And that happens from, uh, of course, from, like you said, some of the Hollywood will perpetuate some of the black stereotypes and the Mexican stereotypes and Puerto Rican stereotypes. But as individuals, we have to become more individualized and not do things because it's necessarily black culture or white culture. I used to get made fun of growing up because like they say, Tuck, man, you talk white. I'm like, what's talking white? Because I'm not, I'm not adapting to the way that you want me to sound. Yeah. I talk, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So it's like we, 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 we being a minority, we felt like we had to make everything about the culture. And if you were outside the culture, you weren't part of that. Yeah. And it's like, we're human beings at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and that, that mentality, like you said, entangles you into your personality and it gives you the, it lacks your ability to be able to 
have access to the infinite because now you're saying i'm a black man age this you know in america here are my limitations i'm in this box now yeah you know I, these are the things i can't be these are the things that i i, I can be and you put yourself into this box and I think once we strip away, like you said, the layers of our identity and lose that and get more in touch with the infinite self, that's when we can be anything we want to be. Man, you but know. All, all, all of this is crystallizing the, 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 the personality, right? And the ego. Yeah. You're nailing it, bro. And I think that, you know, and this is, this is my heart right here because I think what's happening in America right now is, is happened many times throughout history. Um, mm -hmm. Because over the course of a culture's existence, the people that form that culture lose their sense of individuality and, and mm -hmm. cultural norms become cultural norms. And, and yes, there are stupid ass white rednecks who have never left their village in Alabama that think mm -hmm. they understand what it's like in South Central Los Angeles and they just don't. And I think for me, going back to you know the beginning of our conversation, my journey through Christianity and then out of it into where I am now was so powerful because I moved in 20 different states. I lived in the, in mm. the, in the boroughs of, of South Central. I lived in the outskirts of Tennessee. I lived in Florida. I lived in Ohio. I lived in Wyoming. I lived in Colorado and Texas and all these different places. And so I got to see and meet so many people who had never left their, their, their nest. And mm -hmm. I I think that this this kind of ties into putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. I'll tell you what, just being transparent with you, I remember going into Compton for the first time. I was pretty scared because all mm -hmm. that I had were my stereotypes. That's all right. I had. Right, right, right. But once I started regulating myself and stepping out and meeting people, no matter how they looked or talked or acted, just people that did not look, talk, or act like me, I just put myself out there in faith it became one of the most wonderful experiences of my life. And, and I think that's why we marginalize people because we haven't taken that step of empathy. We haven't tried to validate their experience, partly because we're afraid. We're afraid of other people's experiences because we think it says something about us. I know a lot of white people refuse to acknowledge yes. what's happening in America because then they're gonna start to feel guilty. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people, but what that does is cut them off from the empathy that says, you know what, I validate the fact that there are police officers who literally act off of surface judgments with no further information. And that needs to be changed. You know, all these, again, it goes back to these very small nuances. And I'll tell you what, man, the fact that you and I can have this conversation right now is so refreshing to me because this is something that is my heart. Like I want to be able to share this with people and not yes. be labeled as a straight cis white male. I, I want right. to, be able to share it with humans of different melanin counts and it'll be received in the same way that it would to, would be to anybody else. Because at the end of the day, I, I don't, I don't look at you as black. I look at you as my brother before right. I ever determine you to be a skin color. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's, it's, it's always about the humanity for me. And I think this is why, you know, if you've looked at my stories and stuff, I've not said much about this whole thing because I'm still trying to process this in a way to where I can infuse my message with it and not sound like a privileged asshole. And mm -hmm. also not, not justify people's suffering so much to where they don't ever leave it. You know, right. 
trying to find that balance in the middle where you can go back again, your, your experience is 110% valid. And it makes me want to punch those people that did that to you. But let's overcome the effects that that experience had on your nervous system. So if exactly, if it comes around again, you're and, I, and I, and I think what's happening, like I said, too, is like, the fact that the fact that we can experience it without actually experiencing it is the issue. Yeah. Cause like when George Floyd happened, every single black male that saw it, saw their face on his face. Yeah. So they were all now, now a video has traumatized you, Yeah. you know? So now the next time you got those lights behind you, you're, you're, you're even extra nervous. Now the cop says, Hey, Mr. Taylor, how are you doing today? I'm sweating. I'm super nervous. He thinks I'm up to something. Yeah. Not knowing that I've been re -trauma I've been traumatized by the police. Right. You know, and so what you're talking about, I think, is when we talk about kind of re-engineering the nervous system is so important is so that experience A doesn't affect experience B. Yeah. Experience B is actually ex uh, uh, back to experience A again. Right. You know, it's a whole new experience. And we're not carrying on those traumas. A big question people ask me because I have a two year old son is like, what are you going to teach your son about the police? I was like, absolutely nothing. They're like, what? Why? I was like, one, it might not be as bad as it is now when he gets that age. So why prepare him for something? Why create a narrative for him that might not be the same when he gets that age? Also, I think going more broad on the subject is more important. It's teach him how, teaching him how to deal with injustice is the, is, the, is the skill that he needs to learn. You know, injustice is all kind of shapes and forms of fashion. He might be playing basketball and the referee calls a bad call on him. That's injustice. Right. right. He needs to know how to manage his physiology around that, you know, and so that he is not constantly re-traumatized. He's not constantly like Joe Dispenza talks about uh, carrying on the signs and symptoms of the fight or flight nervous system longer than it needs to be. Yeah. You know, where that where that refractory period of that 90 seconds is 90 seconds. He's not carrying on that energy to the next game, to the next game or next experience, next experience, yeah. you know. And that, and I think that's huge. And having a big part of me is like, you know, if we're talking about empathy and compassion and, and, you know, being, having that biblical base and understanding that that is the truth at the end of the day is for me, I have to have empathy for those officers that did that to me. Mm -hmm. I have to have compassion for those officers that did that to me. They, the state that they were in, they're coming from such a place of, paranoia and hate and anger that their vibration was so low that it, it, it they took someone as innocent just standing outside by themselves not doing nothing and put their hands on me and did what they did to me uh i i feel like i feel bad for them if they're walking around with that energy you know we we we're our life experience we're here on some kind of spectrum of hell and heaven and the fact that you have to do that to me, well, that puts you kind of on this more of this hellacious style of your, uh, your life experience. Yeah. And my ability to forgive them and have compassion towards them puts me more towards this spectrum. Right. You know, me be able to uh, experience things and let them go will allow me to experience better things here on out. Yeah. And that's where the biggest revenge that you can have on your adversary or your oppressor is to see the seek the divinity in them. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, Why? 
Think about it because it's my yeah. it's my life experience at the end of the day. So if yeah. you were to do something bad to me, yeah. that means every time that I would think about you, I would read it would re-trigger some kind of emotion, which brings my life experience and messes up my life experience. 100%. But if I forgive you for your atrocities and I say, you know what, he's a great guy. He does this and that and that and that. Now when your name's brought up to me, I'm not re-triggered. And I'm actually thinking about the positive side of you which brings me more on that spectrum of have a heavenly like experience. Yeah. It's the toughest thing to do, but it's the best way to get revenge on those that's done things to you because that if you don't do it, they constantly will win because once that person's name is brought up, it takes you to a bad place, it takes you to a bad place. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, understanding that people, people's actions towards us are so much more about themselves than they ever are about us is Absolutely. so, you know, so key. And man, it's been, we need, I feel like we need to start a podcast, bro. This has been, no, this was, I, I, I want to, man. I need to have more of these conversations, man. Cause even just having the conversation is allowing me to kind of verbalize it in ways I've never even heard myself verbalize it before. It's been so I'm like, man, awesome. like that's good. And here, man, what you said earlier, bro, about reconstructing the nervous system is, it was just, it's it's where it's at, man. Everybody's walking around traumatized and basing things on their past, basing everything on past experiences, not living in the now moment, categorizing people, you know, placing stereotypes on people instead of like learning to learning how to be present with that human being at that moment is insane, you know. So it's like you know we 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 as human beings have to get to a better place to where. You know that's the that's the norm. Yeah, that's you know, the norm. Mindfulness is the norm. That, that right, man. Yeah, and the moment we become there, we're not going to need a government. We're not going to need all these laws. We're not going to need this crazy structure because we have the ability to self-regulate without needing to suffer repercussions for our inability to do so. You right. know, because we can. Right do something or say something and then detach from that realize, okay, whoa, that was, that came from a place where I was just feeling like a piece of shit and mm -hmm. I know that I'm not, I can be better. I am better. And then let me kind of reapproach the situation, you know, and you're so right, you know, and I think that, gosh, I think more than anything, you're absolutely right. The, what, what our country needs most is empathy, love and compassion. Um, it's, it's not about whether you're a Republican or you're a liberal or you're this or you're that. It's about whether you're loving somebody or you're not. That's right. at the end of the day. That's all I'm trying to do because I'm not a fan of politics. I am a fan <laughs> of people. And um, I don't, you know, I don't ever, I don't ever want to be in a place where I'm projecting somebody else's stereotypes through myself onto somebody else because I'm unconscious of where I'm living. Mm. That's, that's so mm. for me. Um, and I think that's something we can all do a little more of, you know, it's like, let, let me just erase all my stereotypes about people, about how they look, how they dress, how they talk, you know, and, and just, let me just approach this person as a piece of divinity. What happens yes. when I do that? You know, everything changes. So, so like in the, do you, do you study like quantum physics at all? Like the quantum world? Uh, here and there I've got, um, I mean, I study a lot more of the, um, the scientific aspect of it. I have a book that I really love right here called, called reality is not what it seems the journey to quantum gravity by Carlo Rovelli. It's mm. one, 
one of the most amazing books. It goes into the science of, of quantum physics. And then I've got a book by um, Richard Feynman called uh, Quantum Electrodynamics. Um, so I like to study the science of, of, of quantum theory because it, it kind of allows me to look at how non kind of non-physical dynamics are. So like, you know, you look at the statement like as above, so below, as within, so without. And mm -hmm. you see that the same structure that electrons and atoms and neutrons exist on is the same appearance of our solar system, which is the same appearance of our galaxy. And you find that the same structures exist on every level of existence. And that's mm -hmm. what I love about quantum physics, because if I can understand the laws of quantum physics as it relates to matter, well, I can begin to understand the implications of quantum physics in relation to my mind, my imagination, my emotions, my thought, my action, and the results that those create. Man, like I, I, I want to get deeper into it. I just have a base level understanding of it. But when, when we talk about love, compassion, and empathy, if that's what you're truly exuding, I feel like you're now, you will now manipulate the matter that's around you and attract yeah. that. And it will disarm people from wanting to judge you based off of your look because they can feel that yeah. energy, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, like, I, I feel like it, it, it's the, the media is playing people against each other because now you're going to have a certain energy when you see a MAGA hat. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a certain energy, right? Yeah. And now it's like, if I have that energy going towards that, well, now we have conflict. Yeah. But if I can see that MAGA hat and be like, you know what, underneath that red cap is divinity. He's going to feel that energy before I even come in. And now we can have a conversation. We can, we can coexist, yeah. you know? So I, and like, there's literally a guy in my complex that's like that, that I, I'm having, I'm doing like a social experiment on that with, with, with that. He wears his MAGA hat every single day. Yeah. And I know, I know what the energy is. I know what the vibe is, but at the end of the day, he's a human being. You know, he's probably someone's, you know, brother or husband or whatever. And it's like, you know, seeing him as that and not as a Republican or a Trump follower. And we, we have dialogue when we see each other. Yeah. The first time I saw him, I saw, I, I saw it. I was like, oh, just say, hey, see what he does. I said, hey, he didn't say anything back to me. But he felt that energy already. Yeah. He felt that like, oh, this, this dude is not going to like me because of this hat. He, yeah. I, I felt like during the quantum field, he felt like that negative energy. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm, when I see him, I'm super like empathetic and, and, and compassionate and want to love on him. And it's like, he's like, hey, what's up, Tuck? Like, he'll, he says, hey, to me now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I, I think it's like, I don't know, man. Like, it's one of those things it's hard to explain, you know, to people. But I feel like at the, the, the Bible and all these things are just talking about focusing on things that are pure, focusing on things that are praiseworthy, focusing on things that are good report. And no matter what, pray on these things, meditate on these things, and you can be towards more of this, this spectrum of having more heavenly-like experiences and more harmonious experiences with the people that's in your world. I agree, bro. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look in, you look in, uh, I believe that is in, it's either in Colossians or Philippians talking about. Philippians 4.8, I believe it is. Yeah, there we go. I, um, you know, and then you bring that back to Proverbs 4, you know, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So you connect the two mm -hmm. concepts and you say, okay, focus on what's good, what's lovely of good rapport. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. That confirms it right there that your emotions are the filter through which you see the world. Your, yes. your own basic kind of self-concepts 
are how you filter all information, all input that comes into your, into your, your field. And, um, and I believe it was Joe Dispenza that came out with the study that showed that the heart actually has its own electromagnetic field that extends from the body about 12 feet. And right. I absolutely believe the statement that your energy introduces you before you ever do, you know, yes. people, no matter how apathetic they are, I don't think are ever too apathetic to not be able to sense the type of energy that somebody coming into an interaction with them has. I really don't think people are that dumb. I think we all are at least unconsciously leveraging our instinctual abilities when it comes to interactions. And you're absolutely right. The more, and, and here's the thing though, when it comes to occupying that love, that unconditional love around people, this is where I think knowing yourself to be divine, knowing yourself to be consciousness, this being that truly will never die. I think this is something that can give you the confidence to walk around with that kind of attitude, walk around, yes. not afraid of the possibility of something going wrong, not afraid of what this stereotype said about that person and what they should act like. You know, our ability to know ourselves directly relates to our ability to know other people as that same divinity, right? Mm. This is super, super important. And this mm. is what my daily, my go-to in every moment when I'm feeling crazy is generating felt sense awareness of my own divinity, of my own enoughness, of my own worthiness, of my own good enoughness, of my own validity, because I know that if I can carry that in myself, I'm automatically going to filter everything I see through that lens. I'm automatically going to look at another person, no matter where they're you know what, they're enough, they're valid, they're, they're worthy, they're deserving. Um, and I'm just going to carry that, you know, I love the scripture, you know, David said, wherever you go, wherever I go, there you are. And the way I look at that is wherever I go, there I am, wherever I go, there my self definitions and my, my, my self conflictions and my self stereotypes are going to show up in the form of people and conversations and circumstances yes. and events. Exactly. You know, exactly. Exactly. Man, you're good, <laughs> man. You're good, man. You're good. We're how, good. How many, I, need I, I, go, I was Googling you before this. How many books have you written? Uh, one, two, three, I think. Nice. Yeah, it's fun, bro. Um, you know, we need to do something together for sure. Um, Man. We do. We do. I want to, um, I would love to help you franchise up here in Virginia. That'd be amazing. Um, but man, you just, you let me know what you need, bro. Um, I think you and I could, could just be a powerhouse of a team in some Man. way or form. Just wreck. My, my spirit, my spirit has been telling me to just let go, not let go of some of the stuff I have going on here, but really like make myself open to people like you yeah. to, to, to change the world, man. Yeah. Cause like we need, the more collective there is, the more teamwork there is, the more powerful that force is. percent. I feel like ego is like tuck you can do it all by yourself you do this you do that you do that it's like no like we we the you know uh captain america couldn't just you know defeat the world by himself it takes the avengers to be able to do that yeah you know what i'm saying so like i feel like i i i i have my own unique superpower so do you it's just you know creating a team to really create something that's going to really leave a lasting impact on this world so important yeah, I think, you know, my heart, my heart more than anything else is for 
two types of people, inner city youth and foster children. Mm. And, you know, uh, I have a nonprofit and it's focused on helping kids that have been through foster homes process out all of the trauma that comes from that um, mm. in a way that is not too intellectually advanced. It's very just basic right. automatic awareness so that when their brain reaches full maturation, they're not dealing with the, the effects of, of a traumatic background, of a traumatic past. Because ultimately, you know, I think it's like 90% of all kids who age out of the foster system become addicted to drugs or they kill themselves. Right. You know, and what's that, your what's your educational background? I graduated high school with a 3.3. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. So no college, no nothing. No, I, I went to college um, for about a semester and I got in a car accident and then I dropped out. And then that's when I kind of began my religious journey. Um, See, man, I don't, cause I don't believe in like, I, I'm glad you said that. Cause a big part of me, this could be ego was like, man, you need to go back to school. You need to get your mental health degree. You need to get this and that. I felt like to, to be, to make a further impact or to like, maybe it's self-validation. Maybe it's imposter syndrome. I don't know necessarily what it is, but it's like, I've been, I feel like I have the knowledge now to go out. Now, I don't know everything, obviously, but I feel like I have enough to go out and do whatever it is that it's blocking me from going out and doing it all the way. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, bro. And you, you've got the results and clients that prove that you know what you're doing. You're absolutely, absolutely right, bro. Like, I thought about it, too. It's like, okay, but here's the thing what is going to school and getting a PhD really going to do? It's going to give me validation in front of people that I think I need validation from. It's like, no, dude, like, okay, sure. There's always more I can learn, but I know that if what I do now gets people results and, and really helps change lives, then all I need to do is just do more and more and more and more and more. Of that. <laughs> right. You know right. I mean? um, right. Nah, Interesting. Bro, like, you can, I mean, you can, if you want, I don't think you need to, bro. I think you're amazing. You know, with, with, your book, Beast Thinking, that came out, you know, with what you're doing with Beast Athletics, I think that, man, I, I, I was here under the assumption that you had more than enough schooling, you know what I mean? It's like, because right. I, I think that we set up that school system primarily to get degrees, to get us jobs, but it's like, you find that people that succeed without that education end up getting honorary degrees at the end of their lives anyways, without having to yes. know, yes. you yes. know, so nah, bro, I mean, I'm not going to sway you either way, but I'm confident in your ability to take what you're doing and explode it in a million different ways. And I'm a big fan of it. And I just want to be with you, walk with you and, and grow with you, bro. It's, it's awesome. And this has just been a super fruitful conversation and, and uh, yeah, man, big in here. So I appreciate it. We definitely got to do it again and kind of try to figure out now that we uh, got the relationship now, figure out how to do it on live so we can, <laughs> impact some some people when we get on when we on there that'd be sick that'd be sick and and i think that you know there's room um to discuss different things like podcasts we like so i'm a co-founder of reality hacker and I, I did, so did you did you is that your company i just bought two of those journals that you had posted bro, is that you bro let me show you i just got the proof in bro are you talking about the uh, reality hacker os Yes, I just I just bought two of them, bro. Yes, bro. I'm stoked on these. All right, so let me just kind of give you a little. Here, let me stop this recording real quick.